Welcome to Sustainable 229. Welcome yourself to Sustainable 229. All you look better, you sound better, are you better? I'm better. Hooray, very good. I'm so pleased. I was worried that you were just turning into one great septic ooze. No, we're not going to talk about things like that anymore. I'm better, I'm fine, I'm radiant, I'm fragrant. I'm all of those things. I very much doubt you are fragrant. What? We are well. Hello. Good. Now, what was I going to say? We are Sustainable. We are your friendly little weekly environment podcast. Ain't we all? Yes. All about people and the planet and the big things that live on it and the little things that live on it. Yes? Absolutely. And what are we going to be talking about specifically this week then? We're going to be talking about things that annoy you, things that really bug you, Dave. <laughs> we're going to be doing that. We're going to be talking about bugs. Bugs, yes. bugs, bugs. We are that is the last about... time you were allowed to use bug as an insult. Yeah, that's right. No, you can uh, no longer will we accuse anybody of waspish comments or scuttling around. Scuttling around, exactly. Yeah. Worming their way towards. Not an insect. Of... Well, it's an invertebrate, isn't it? We'll come on to that. Yes. We will come on to that. We are talking about bugs and they are their centrality to everything, to life on Earth, to this planet. Um, and we're going to be talking to somebody who has written a rather wonderful book about bugs and all oh, the invertebrates, not just insects. And that person is the splendiferous Vicky Hurd, who keen listeners will notice has been on the babble before, back in episode... It's written there. I wrote it down for you. Oh, I'm not looking. Yeah. 29. She's on episode number 29. Oh, very good. Yeah. Almost exactly to the day six years ago. How about that? Yes, yeah, so Vicky's been on. Vicky is head of sustainable farming at the organisation called Sustain. Used to work with Ollen Dave back in another life, and that we do talk about that and a couple of times. And her book is called Rebugging the Planet, and it is about how to get bugs everywhere and why that's a good thing, and why unless we are very careful, we won't be able to do that, and we'll wipe them all out, and that's a bad thing. It's a beautiful book that she just talks so kind of passionately and energetically and creatively about little wiggly things, and you will feel bad for every little scuttly thing you ever squished i know i do yeah we didn't get onto that did we whether whether or not you should be feeling guilty for the gnat that you tried to kill <laughs> did you successfully kill the gnat i didn't successfully kill the gnat but the, but the process of attempting to kill the gnat killed my other laptop so that, very my much friend is karma that's karma and i don't feel sorry for that gnat none <laughs> Um, yeah, good. We talk about uh, bugs, all sorts of them, what they are, what they aren't. We talk about whether they're in trouble. Spoiler, yes. What's causing it? Spoiler, you. In Hoffs. Um, in and you. Um, and we talk about, well, we talk about 5G, so, you know, ready for that. <laughs> we talk about whether or not insects have feelings. And we talk about a moss piglet. And wait till you hear about moss piglets. That's all I'm going to say. Just the usual disclaimer, we do work for environment charities. So if you've got any beef or um, uh, cricket-based protein uh, with anything we say, take it up directly with me or him or indeed Vicky, not with the people for whom we work. All right? All right. And please do remember that we are a listener-funded podcast. So if you like what you hear, you can get involved with your cash at wobblywobblywobbly.patreon.com slash sustainable. And if you like the babble, give us a little shout-out and a review on your podcast medium of choice. Yes? On with it. Title, the title of your book includes the words invertebrates and um, insects and bugs and stuff. Um, 
What, what is an invertebrate if it isn't an insect? And what is an insect? Yes, that's a very good question. And the thing about invertebrates, all they are is without spines. They have no vertebrae. Oh, like that's Dave. what it means. Yes. Hi. So the so the spineless ones in on the planet. So it means all it, it, it's all the way from your worms to your squids to your prawns to your spiders to your bees. Everything doesn't have a spine. And insects are one family of um, invertebrates, but there are many others. And I in the book want to talk about all of them. So. I didn't just stick to insects. Okay, uh, quick fire is a thing, an insect or not (laughs) game. Uh, So I'm going to say a thing and I want you to immediately say whether it's an insect or not. Uh, Spider. No. Not an insect. Too many legs. It's got eight legs. Insects always have six. Ah, okay. Moth. No, (laughs) bee. Bee, yes, an insect. Moth, yes, an insect. Six-legged centipede. Oh, no, not an insect. It's not six. It would be a sexy bead, wouldn't it's it? Ha- all its legs have fallen off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I suppose not it. being an insect is the least of its worries. If it's yes, only got it's ha- it's somebody's eaten its legs off, so it's uh, yeah, got things to do. Former Environment Secretary Michael Gove. <laughs> Ooh, uh, very important man looking after our uh, housing and land use. <laughs> very well done. And of course, we don't use insect as an insult, do we? We don't. No, Dave. no we're we need not to species stop is. using. Yeah, definitely need to stop using insects and other invertebrates as insults. They are incredible. Don't tell a lie and make my trust break. I will never call you a snake. I respect you and snakes. Don't use snake as an insult. Animals are in. So you have written a book about why insects are incredible and are brilliant that's the, 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 essentially your book is about how brilliant insects are right and i'd like you to tell me why that is but before you tell me why that is like, i've been really struck by how rare it is that anyone says insects are brilliant particularly organizations who like nature and stuff like if you go onto websites of organizations that like nature they might tell you how brilliant lions are or how brilliant policy documents are but they very rarely tell you how brilliant insects are so why do you think insects are brilliant i think insects and other invertebrates are brilliant um because they actually are the glue that keeps our natural systems working they are they they are um honestly we wouldn't have we wouldn't exist without them they've been here many many millennium before us and have learned how to live on the on the planet in nature um so well and we could learn so much from that i had a whole chapter in the book about what we could learn from insects and it all got chopped down because it was just too much (laughs) but they are they are incredible um and i think the conservation organisations and others are changing. I think the impact of Springwatch and other wonderful things like citizen science, where people get involved in recording bugs, um, has changed the narrative, changed the discussion around bugs. There's a lot more people that love bugs. So I think that's changing. And I hope my book changes it further, that more people understand the importance of bugs and how amazing they are and how easy it is to to live around them. I think one of the bits of your book that really struck me was when you were saying, like, if if you actually want to go and look at some nice animals and stuff, like insects are one of the easiest things to go and look at. They're they're everywhere, and you and they don't a lot of them don't move that fast, and they're beautiful. The cover of your book is just like 
a feast for the eyes. Absolutely, they are. And, you know, all you really need to do, and I often tell this to children, is to stay still for a bit and they will come. You know, it's that classic thing. If, if you stay still, they will come. Um, and that can be just on your doorstep. And they are wild. You know, we talk about rewilding and having huge rewilding spaces where nature takes over. We've already got that in your garden, in your park, everywhere. But people haven't taken notice of the bugs. So taking notice of them will help people to think about the ways they can... In- you know, look after them better. And I didn't say why they're also incredible, is that they also provide us with a lot of our food, clean our water and clear our wastes and all those kind of vital everyday things that we need to survive. And they're very, invertebrates are very much part of, of how we do survive. So that's another reason they're incredible. Do they take our poo away? They do take our poo away. They take our dead bodies away as well. We'd be <sighs> knee-deep in poo and dead bodies if we didn't have the, the beetles that uh, lay their eggs and the flies that lay their eggs on the, on the poo and digest it to make it more available for, for the even smaller bugs like the fungi and the um, microbes to further digest it and turn it into useful nutrients um, that will allow plants to grow and things like that. So the incredible, they do this incredible job of... of um, breaking everything down into smaller parts that then can be used by us. And uh, we don't often see it. I think we need to know about it. Raid house and garden bug killer for both indoors and outdoors. Raid hunts bugs down like radar. So that's the the good side. But let's flip that on its head. (laughs) How bad would it be if they weren't here and let's face it we're doing quite a good job of sort of eradicating them uh, are you going to have a freak out again because well, the, 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 the last time you had a massive freak out was because all the insects were dying and I have to say the early bit of Vicky's book it's, didn't yeah. help on that front yeah. uh, although like she swiftly pivots <laughs> to but I don't want this to be a, a picture uh, yeah. of, of I, hope, I hope it was it swift, swift enough I it hope was it was swift, swift. Good. you pulled me back from the ring but good. come on look, mm. what, how, how bad would it how, be if how much, yeah. how much are we on the brink and how, how bad would it be it would be catastrophic I think there'd be a handful of us living on every um, continent uh, trying desperately to, to grab what you know nutrients we could and 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 scraps of clothing that we've got left um because well, we really, could eat the we could eat the dead bodies because the insects wouldn't be doing it that's true that's true yeah. we, we could be doing that that's a nice future thought isn't it but i yeah. do i do describe what what um would happen you know because obviously they pollinate um a third of our plants but all the other plants they don't pollinate rely on the bugs the worms the springtails all the amazing bugs in the soil to help them to grow so you know all our food really frankly would be um not there for us um and i think we'd have you know our water systems our soil all those kind of things just wouldn't work because the vital microbes need the um the insects and the invertebrates that can move in order to repopulate areas so things like when you've got fungi which break everything down in the soil they need to move around on the backs of the sticky worms you know all these kind of and and in the stomachs of the the springtails and so all these distribution things that are really important in terms of the microbes happen because of the bugs um as well as the pollination that the bugs do when they, you know, do the sexual reproduction uh, needs of the flowers um, by getting the male 
pollen with the female stamen so they can create uh, you know um, fruits and things like that oh. and so it's all it, you know it's all critical so we wouldn't have all those things we wouldn't have tables we wouldn't have chairs because the trees wouldn't be there um, I'm being slightly gloomy chairs. well we we have a lot of products that around your home are made of wood and the trees need need the bugs to grow to to be pollinated or their seeds to be dispersed and the soil to be created in ways that will work for them um, I, I, to be honest the insects were around a long way long time before us they can survive without us but it'd be very hard for us to survive without them that litany of of jobs that well i mean you, you've touched on there but i mean your your book is it goes into even more sort of detail about the sheer extraordinary range of things they do you kind of make the point that for all of the clever whizzy nanotechnologies and robot bees and stuff that are being invented robot it, bees yeah it's a thing isn't it yeah. well because because pollination pollinator numbers are crashing and they're looking at how they can do it with robots instead but i think i'm right in saying that you're you're making the point that really there's so many complicated processes going on a lot of which we probably haven't even discovered yet that relying on sort of some clever robot technology to get us out of this problem is not a good idea? Not a good idea because I think we really don't know an awful lot, as you say. And robo bees, for instance, you know, think about how many billions we need every day to. I'm not having robo bees. To, to having and then, you know, the pollution that we involve, the money, you know, we're talking about billions, you know, of little plastic or metal things to do pollination, which it currently is done for free, not just by bees, but by moths, by little wasps, by all sorts of invertebrates and mammals and, and bats and other things like that. You know, they do it for free. They multiply for free. You know, we don't have to pay them. Um, you know, it's incredible. And yet we are harming them all. You know, I do talk in the book about the different ways we're harming them. And we really need to stop doing that in, in the many ways we can. Uh, in order to allow them to continue to do all those things. They're really quite, you know, a, a gift for us and we should look after that gift. But it's in a way, I hear what you're saying and obviously, you know, it's important. But in a way, what you're saying is a is kind of, saying it like that, that they're a gift to us and they give us things is a kind of a category error, right? Because it's the sort of thing, like we talk in this podcast a bit, and we talked about over the years about using economics to kind of value nature and how that is a bit, it just doesn't sit right. And what you're really saying is not without bugs, we wouldn't have nice stuff. It would be without bugs, everything would be dead. We'd be dead. Everything would be dead. There would be no everything, right? I think some some nature yeah would probably survive. Fungi kept, were here before the bugs. <laughs> Fungi are incredibly clever and some bi bioterran some things but yeah more or less they're a critical part of the natural systems on which our whole uh, thin layer of uh, life depends um but you know it's it's quite a um you're right about saying it's not about valuing them uh, we should be sharing the planet with them better that's a better way of talking about it and i do say that in the in the book so you're quite right i don't i don't put a monetary value on it mostly there, there have they have been done and they're probably massively underestimates <laughs> so somebody has somebody has put a monetary value on yeah. an ant i bet they have yeah, i bet there's some i bet there's a spreadsheet yeah. that is ant mm. equals 0.001p exactly. yeah They've done Somewhere. it with bees, but actually bees, a lot of honeybees, they're actually livestock. They're obviously invertebrates, but they're not wild, as, as I'd call them, because they've been bred for our purposes. <laughs> the answer back, Ted. This puts me in mind of a long walk I went on 
a while ago. Oh, hang on, I'm playing the old goes for a long walk music. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> sit, sit, settle down, everybody. Sit back and enjoy. <laughs> All went on a long walk with one of my kind of long walk kind of friends, if you know what I mean. And it was about 10 years ago and I was banging on, as I have once or twice done in my life, uh, about how good rewilding would be and how that should be a thing. And a friend said, yeah, but we need to like rewild ourselves. And I said, oh my God. shut up, you terrible hippie. <laughs> You're shut round. Up. Shut, yes, You're round, yeah. And yes. he's the kind of friend who like doesn't bring a wallet. So it's actually my round, that kind of person. Uh, but it's, it sounds a little bit like that's kind of what you're saying. And I think there is a, a bit in your book about kind of rebugging our attitudes. Because mm. it's, yeah. it's not about saying these are important because you know, ecosystem services and yeah. Yeah. pounds to the economy, blah, blah, blah. It's because they're inherently brilliant. They're and brilliant. They have a right to exist on this planet, I, I think. Um, yeah, I do. And in fact, the rebugging your attitude chapter has been the one that a lot of people have really picked up on because they've thought about, oh, maybe when I talk to my children or children that I've cared for, I've actually instilled a bit of fear. Um, I've I've actually sort of automatically assumed that bug is a bad thing or it's going to be dirty. You see it all the you know? time. You see exactly, it all the time. Yeah. yeah, and actually, you know, and and over the centuries, we've learnt so much about how to kill them, <laughs> and we've invested so much money in ways to destroy or keep them out. We've forgotten the majority of the bugs are really good for us, or they're just really important in the system. So um, I think we do need to rebug our attitudes. I think it's happening. I think people are beginning to realise that. I find it very inspiring how many initiatives there are around around bugs and uh, bug recording schemes and stuff. I think I think it's getting there. But parents definitely have a role to play. They they do. But when you say it's it's a bit hippie-ish, I was thinking about it's it's. I think they're really you know much more sexy and exciting than that. If you look at a bug up close, they are blooming extraordinary. And, you know, you could call them the punk rather than the hippie because some of them, you know, there's... The, the You've got this amazing is, photo that I've seen of this of the moth. I saw it on one of your the vapor you moth. Picture, yeah, vapor it, moth. It's, it looks like a superhero, sort of holding a cloak. We're going to put we'll put it on our socials. It's extraordinary. You do have the photograph and their antennae. I mean, I just love. I think I'm I'm in love with invertebrate antennae. They're incredible. Um, and then you look at the octopus, and I think you know, in my wildest times, I think octopi are actually aliens because they are. Getting amazing, incredible, intelligent and, and beings. And just to check, they're not insects. So not I, insects, get... they are invertebrates. They don't have okay. a spine. Starting to get this now. Yes. Good. Like, you know, slugs, snails, they're not insects either, but they're, they're pretty important. But for gardeners, they're seen as a bit of a pest. But they're really, really important in, in converting dead plant matter into useful nutrients. So it can get into the soil and help your plants to grow. Um, or they're food for other animals that you like to see, like birds. You know, all, all part of the food chain. That's, that's the other thing to think about. They're part, an important part of the food chain. Um, and if you like birds, you've got to like your bugs. If you don't want me to destroy you, I'm going to read out a list of things. Mm -hmm. And I want you to tell me whether or not we need to end those things in order to rebug the planet. Right? Mm -mm. We up for that? Yep, absolutely. Yeah? Okay, good. Let's start with 5G. <laughs> Baldrick the Cocker Spaniel, please! <laughs> so we weren't going to do this. 
Uh, no, I think we need to. Yeah. I think we need to. <laughs> there, Do we need to get rid of 5G, 5G. masks? There is Vicky. evidence that 5G and above create a vi- uh, frequency that puts energy into tiny, little tiny animals like bees, such a way that they could be cooking the animals. And there is there is evidence there. We're going to get letters. I know. We're going to get letters. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's evidence there. It needs a lot more research, but I think we need to be aware of that research and and do more understand more think about whether we need a complete rollout of 5g and above everywhere or whether whether we can protect the uh, the flying insects in particular who might be near wow. to 5g signals because it's the frequency it's got such a lot of energy in it you can imagine it within a, a very small body with a large surface area um it's it's gonna heat them up and this is like firstly all i hope you're remembering that you need to tweet the phrase 5g cooks bees <laughs> And that'll sort our social media profile right out. I think we'll get we'll get very good engagement with <laughs> very with very good engagement. Like that, yeah. But I just I want to be clear about this because five G is a thing that attracts uh, people that live in Totnes and stuff, right? And I just want to be clear: you, you're you are a person of science, right? This is not like mm. this is I'm, not mayhem. I'm quoting I'm quoting completely independent, well-run studies. Um, and a number of them, and I put them. I've put them in the book. But I, I would say, compared to other risks, there's not as right. much as much evidence. You know, like we can talk about the other risks, like loss of habitats and, and chemicals, which are probably oh, we're coming to, to that. There's, don't you don't you get ahead the, of my the game? Evidence, yeah, the evidence is isn't as strong. So I, I think it'd be fair to say we need more, and uh, okay. we need to understand what it really means. Good. Well, I'll feel free to jump in. I got to do another one, then you can do mm. one. Uh, light. There is a lot of evidence of light pollution being a big problem for a lot of species, particularly insects, flying insects, those that use light, usually use light on ponds to know where they are. Um, and they it, it interrupts their mating. It interrupts their communications. Uh, they don't know where they are if there's lights on all the time. And there's some evidence that it actually kills them because they can't access their food sources and they oh. can't access their mates. So there's a lot of evidence globally of the um, negative impact on light. And there are things we can do to alleviate that. Is that the kind of thing that if you have a garden and you have like a, it's nighttime and you have one of those outside light things, if you just don't have that on, it might actually make an actual impact on the actual insects in your actual garden? It would. Yeah. I mean, if you had just the light come on when uh, there was movement, so, you, you know, it wasn't on all the time, that would help. If you had it uh, really shining downwards rather than everywhere, you know, it's have a distribute, you know, really directed light rather than diffuse light, that helps. And having low energy light bulbs in street lights and things. So there's a lot of local authorities that are starting to do to understand this and do things, which is great. Before we move off light, there was a thing in your book about how dung beetles use the Milky Way to know where they're going. Yeah, I think I think I kept finding incredible stories. Honestly, I had about 100 more um, <laughs> for the book. And they had to be taken about because it was getting too long. That is, dung beetles are, are incredible and they, they, they are the only ones known to use the Milky Way, not the um, moon. And it's quite amazing that they can do the research to find that out. But how well, Presumably that's, that's mm. uh, quite problematic then as more and more of the world lights up, right? Because it's hard. I mean where we all live it's probably almost impossible to see the milky way anywhere so yeah we're creating really big problems for the bugs that are actually really important dung beetles are vital for converting dung to useful nutrients oh no the bridge has gone old red can't carry on but smart old blue he took the milky way Right, 
Next thing, do we need to get rid of this thing in order to save、uh, the bugs? Farmers. No, we need farmers. I think farmers are very chicken. good. Chicken. <laughs> farmers. Well, there is a school of thought that we do, and I think we'll hear more of those that we can create most of our food in factories using fermentation and bacteria to create the the proteins and fats and carbohydrates. I think there's a big question mark over that in terms of our microbiota in our stomachs, and that's so critical for for not only our Physical well-being, but our mental well-being. We're finding out now. So I think the soil is very important part of the food system, and good farmers look after their soil and look after the bugs in their soil. But they've been so directed by the market, by junk food demands and、um, demands for ever cheaper food, <clears throat> that they've become seen as the problem. And I talk in my book as them being part of the solution. And there's a lot of farmers that are brilliant. They're bringing bugs back into their system, using them, you know, using the bugs in all sorts of ways, but also looking after them. And there's loads of different ways farmers can do that. I, I do talk about it in the book and in my work. But it's 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 really vibrant industry at the moment, doing regenerative, organic, agroecological farming systems,、um, which create more interesting landscapes as well. You've got more crops, more features, more habitats. Uh, hedgerows, woods, trees—all sorts that allow the bugs to travel through and do their stuff. So farmers are part of the problem, but I think a lot of the problem is upstream of the farmers. You know, it's the supply chain which makes such demands on them, and that's got to change. And that's partly to do with what we buy. Both our food, but also our clothes, our chairs, <laughs> everything.、Um, you know, our, our mobile phones, or you know, everything、um, makes a difference to what is mined from the land, and that includes what farmers do to the land. So, do we need then to get rid of Tesco's? Other other in-house supermarkets are available, but is、uh, so. Are you saying they're a bigger problem because they demand nice, uniform carrots, and for that, you have to have ununiform dead bees, or what? Yes. Right. Exactly, it's a huge problem in all sorts of ways. Not just in terms of the uniformity, the cosmetic demands on, yeah, as you say, perfect carrots or perfect potatoes. They're also、um, full of junk food, and I talk about junk food in the book because it's full of very uniform fats or proteins. You know, junk uh, fast. Um, Fast food things, full of、um, cheap meat and things like that, but that's coming from a very uniform system. You've either got animals all squished into very small spaces, you know, with no access to the outside, factory farming, or you've got crops squished all together in vast fields, and that all provides the very cheap products that are needed to produce cheap junk food. And I think the supermarkets have peddled that for for far too long and have such a stranglehold on the food system. And I really want that to change. I have a campaign for 25% of the retail market being in alternative, farmer-focused supply chains by 2035. So I think we should be really, you know, looking for other ways for farmers to sell their goods. But I don't want to pretend it's easy because people have to afford good food and. Chesco is cheap. It's it, there's so many complex things around the food system which need to change. But you know, to answer your first question, Dave, Tesco really needs a, a big fat wadge of regulation, as do all the other supermarkets and the big food system.、Mm. Like, a fat wadge of regulation right up them. Yeah, yeah, and Nestle and Danone and Cargills and all the big food giants across the world. And the pesticides companies, right? Because there's a lot of、yeah. money to be made in telling people you've got to spray the shit out of stuff. Absolutely. So it's really hard for farmers to find agronomy 
advice that doesn't involve a pesticide or a, a, a fertilizer, you know, artificial fertilizers that they spread. Um, so the best thing is if they can talk to other farmers are doing it right and having that demonstration and, and support from each other, which is where, where things need to go. Um, but yeah, the pesticide companies have really um, chilled. They've really squashed down on, on politicians wanting to protect the pollinators and the wider environment by controlling uh, pesticides. And that should not be happening. And it needs a movement of people. And that's why I talk about in Rebugging the Planet. I talk about people getting involved in those kind of campaigns. Because as well as what you buy and what you do in your home and your garden, you need to be <clears throat> part of the movement for rebugging. Hi, I'm Arabella, and you're listening to Sustainable. <laughs> Now, we have had a couple of questions from some of our lovely listeners who get special access to our brains because they give us money. So we ask people who give us money on Patreon if they've got any special questions for our special guests. And one of those people is Maddie, who says, whilst we're on the topic of celebrating bugs, is it a bit insensitive of me to ask about eating them? I have a cat that I wouldn't mind experimenting on humanely she claims um and an ads algorithm recently spewed insect protein cat food mm. at her and it piqued her interest mm. so maddie's question is can i feed my insect protein no no can i feed my cat insect protein long term and sustainably or is this just another sneaky capitalist ploy to appeal to my lefty values and of course do remember that back in episode 154 of sustainable Ol ate crickets. Ah. So if you want to hear what happens when Ol peers into a bag of crickets and eats them, go and listen to that. Anyway. I seem to remember cooking cricket flour cookies in the office and you both, both ate them. Maybe you didn't, Dave, but I didn't. Uh, I'm sure you I did. Was, I read that bit in your book yeah. and I was like, I think, yeah, I'm sure I you think did. that was yeah. when we were in the same place. Yes, and I you ate them, them yeah. you ate them, and a lot of people did. I had bugs for lunch. <laughs> I think... There's, I, I do talk about this in the book because uh, there's a question about sentience. Are, are bugs sentient? Should we be caring for them better and not creating huge vats of, of maggots and then just, you know, grinding them into pulp? You know, there's all, I think we should have really strong rules on how we look after insects if we're going to grow them as feed or as food. I worry about growing them as feed because that could um, provide a really uh, useful, cheap food source for factory farming. And factory farming has so many negatives associated with it, not least cruelty to animals, huge pollution, blah, blah, blah. There's huge reasons to not make factory farming easier um, by replacing like soy feeds with insect feed. So that's one problem. I think we, you know, we really shouldn't be going down that avenue. I know about the bug food. It's called Love Bug, which I love bugs cat food, which I find is a really weird name because you're basically killing them to feed them. You don't them. love them that <laughs> you much. You don't love them very much. <laughs> don't love them at all. And I have asked questions about all their sustainability um, criteria for producing it and I think the best thing is for every customer should be doing the same what's the water implications what's the energy what rules have you got for the killing of the bugs you know start to ask questions of the company um, because it might be better than meat feed um, for your cat but I think you need to know more I can't let a thing you said there go past because I'm really interested in it are insects 
sentient. sentient. Yeah. What do we know about that? Because that does seem quite a important thing as to whether or not we should shove them in our face or indeed wipe them out. Yeah, I think the the definition of sentience is is quite a complex one. But what I find um, interesting is that they have now defined um, a certain amount of crustacea as sentient lobsters and other crustacea that are used in in um, experimentations and because they've done enough experiments to tell them that they feel pain and they move away from pain and show other um, aspects of sentience that they can understand what's happening to them and will do something about it. When I look into the wider invertebrates, I think it'd be quite difficult to say the same of all of them. But at the same time, I think it'd be very difficult to say they they don't have sentience. Um, so it's a complex area. But, you know, when I looked at the way in which bugs um, satisfy their needs, I had a whole chapter on um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how we could learn from insects. There are insects that parent their young. There are insects that look after each other, the social insects. They do incredible things, sacrificing themselves for the colony. Um, you know, there's there's whole ways in which you could say invertebrates do do things which we would consider sentient of each other and themselves and their feelings don't know if that answers your question dave uh, we need again more research but i think the no, fact no, that we no. have new laws um to protect the welfare of crustacea which are invertebrates maybe we're at the start of something good i think in terms of understanding that they're notoriously shellfish Oh. <laughs> oh God, yes. Just absolutely no need for that <laughs> at all. Now, talking of sentient beings, I want to talk about your children. Because <laughs> I read your book and it's got what I love about it is it is absolutely peppered with lots of very obviously heartfelt, heartfelt, passionate things about you. Like you know, when you saw your hummingbird hawk moth in your garden for the first time, stuff. Like, it, it leaps off the page because you clearly absolutely love all this stuff. Lots of personal experiences. However, also quite a lot of anecdotes about family holidays where your children were variously forced to look at bugs, forced to go hunting for bugs, <laughs> sent into a lake to go and get leeches attached to their feet and stuff. No, we're, we're not going to Disney World. <laughs> we're going to get leeches. But I'll tell you what we are doing instead. <laughs> I just wanted to know if they're still talking to you. Yeah, that, that is a, a fair question. I, t- to be fair, I, we were just swimming in the lake and it, he came out and saw the leech on his foot and was very excited and I was very excited too and I told him all about them and they are incredible and they use them medicinally so they're really important I think we'll be using more of them for medicine in the future but and but the other son was so excited he went in and tried to get another one on you know, to get one on his hand and uh, so I think I've instilled in them a love of bugs and every now and then my eldest son who is now 23 sends me photographs of bugs that he's seen he's studying history up in Glasgow so I haven't instilled the desire to to be a biologist in either of them but uh, they're still talking to me and they do understand the importance of bugs. I have a terrible fear of spiders. Come on, we live in the country now. It's time to work through this irrational, paralyzing terror. It's not irrational. 
Something I didn't ask you in should we get rid of it or not game was whether or not we should get rid of films like Arachnophobia and that bit in Temple mm. of Doom when there's all the scary insects and things that terrify have us. I, uh, what's it? I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. That, heavens to Betsy, yeah. yes. Um, should, so, like, we, do we need to culturally get rid of things that, fun though it is, make insects all scary? And then like, also, kind of, is that a problem or have we got this innate fear of wriggly things, do you think? There, there is some suggestion that we do have an innate uh, reaction to small things that don't look like us, and you know we don't understand. You know, even young, young, like tiny James babies. James pole. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody like that. I look more like but, him than I used to. I'll tell you that. I? <laughs> but I, I think more fear is instilled in in children as they get older, because they're usually quite curious. They're not frightened. They're curious of bugs. Very quickly get frightened because their adults tell them to be. And then the yeah, as you say, the films and Doctor Who and even the new June film. I think that's got some big bugs in it. Very, it? very, very um, big bugs. Very yes. big bugs. Yeah, invertebrates, but on a large scale. Um, so. I think there is a case for having far more literature and culture that is about the great things they are. I mean, what is wonderful about a lot of children's things now, it does, you know, bees are seen as really wonderful, fluffy things. We should have wonderful, fluffy uh, termites and uh, spiders. And I think there could be a fantastic cartoon about the tardigrade. Don't you read about that? The water bear that lives in moss. I mean, it's just, it's going to come. So many people love tardigrades. They're indestructible and extraordinary and unique um, and lovely to look at as well. What is it? It's a tardigrade. It's called a water bear or a moss piglet. And, you know, there's a wonderful name. Sounds like Oz nicknames for his kids. <laughs> <laughs> they live in, they live in uh, watery environments, do a lot of filtering, good stuff in the water. But they're everywhere. They're even on the moon. How big are they? Tiny, tiny little things. And oh. they can survive nuclear, radiation, extreme heat, complete desiccation. They're in- indestructible. So pretty amazing. Moss piglets. Yeah. And they're sort of reanimated after like 100 years or something, haven't they? Yes. Exactly, yeah. Samples from museums of moss. They've put water in and found the, the um, moss piglets to, to survive. So we're learning a lot from them, obviously, but I think there could be a great cartoon. And about, oh, yeah, I, I, so yes to your original question, Dave, that there are loads of ways we could be having positive things about insects, including cockroaches, which are amazing animals no, and very important. I was with, very I was impo- with you until that point. <laughs> Cockroaches are fantastic. And there's a cockroach that provides milk to its babies and people have extracted it and it's potentially becoming a superfood. No, Um, no. (laughs) not having it. There's a marketing challenge. Would you like oat milk, soya milk, almond milk (laughs) or or cockroach milk? Cockroach milk, yeah. It's very, very rich in nutrients, superfood. But I don't think we should do that, but we should rehabilitate the cockroach as a, a great part of the ecosystem we live in. How'd you get the little milking stall under it? <laughs> Nothing wrong with dog's milk. Full of goodness, full of vitamins, full of marabone jelly. <laughs> Lasts longer than any other type of milk, dog's milk. Why? No bugger a drink it. Right, so let's say that when we're moving about, we get lucky and we move into a house with a garden um, which is covered in plastic lawn and has been pesticided to an inch of its life. Um, the dream, uh, as I think we could all agree. What do we do? What should we do in that situation to bring it back? Um, I mean, should we like just, I don't know, chuck maggots all over it or something? Or 
You have to take up the, the um, AstroTurf, obviously, get rid of that and look at what you've got underneath. Um, see if there's some good soil. You might be need to bring in some soil from some good source, a local allotment society or your local council. Because the plastic is uh, anathema. We know I got a lot in the book about plastic fibres and stuff which are killing insects. So we need to wrap that up and put it somewhere safe and not let it get into the water system. And you could you could actually just leave it and see what comes. I mean, that would be amazing. Rewild your garden and, and it very quickly, it will be full of flowers and bugs. I, I assure you, it'll be full. But it might not be the kind of things you want. So if you want to lay it to some lawn, a bit of lawn, you know, make it a, a, a lawn rich with species. It doesn't have to be all a single grass species. And let some of it grow every year, let other bits grow. And yeah, keep the keep the in, um, in insecticides and other chemicals out. You don't need it because the bugs themselves will create the um, fertilised soil. Um, and they will control each other. You'll get this wonderful balance of systems and you could record them every year, what's come and what's gone. How how brilliant would that be with your children to do a little, you know, every June the 1st and every, you know, winter, whatever, you know, recording what's come and what's gone. And you'll have this ebb and flow of different uh, species. And, uh, and some of them will be predating on others. You know, the beetles will eat the aphids and all that kind of thing will be happening. And you'll see it all in front of you. Um, writ large as a little rewilding project in your garden that'd be lovely and also just to say wood piles log piles fantastic habitat for all sorts of insects so if you already have a log pile do leave it there if you can there is a wood get this i've lived where i live in the beautiful people's republic of crystal palace for nearly six years and i've only just really discovered that there's a little bit of woodland like five minutes from my house right it's kind of secret little thing and it's got in it log piles that are homes for stag beetles and there's a sign on it going stag beetles live in here so brilliant that you told that that's fantastic what a great council oh it's really oh no this is there were volunteers volunteers but yes well Um, it's brilliant but on what you were saying then we had a question on patreon from babble listener philly who says oh you were basically saying you know let your let stuff come back and it will come back right but she says i have an annual wildflower lawn but my food plants barely get pollinated and she has to hand pollinate to have a chance of a few courgettes and why she thinks that is is because she lives in a rural area with loads of farmer fields at the bottom of her road and farmers doing spraying a lot of what she thinks is insecticide so the, the question is how do you, how do you kind of rebug not just your space but what are techniques for getting other people um, who are around you to be rebugging too particularly where that is having a big impact on your own bugging that's a really great question it's that you know she's thinking of system change, real big system change and doing it with the community, including the businesses. That's going to take time because the farmers will be doing what they're doing because that's what the market is forcing them to do or that what their father did before them or their mother did before them. So there's a whole thing that needs to be done, but the, the communication is key and having really open and frank discussions, but not accusating accusatory discussions um you know maybe sort of organize a pollinator friendly village meeting and try and get people to it and start from there see who's going to support you there's pesticide free town materials available at the pesticides action network there'll be lots of ideas and i know monmouth i talk about monmouth in my book which is now a, a pollinator friendly town you can start doing that for your village or for your road you know there's lo- lots of things to do but I think getting farmers involved and, and also listening to them and 
supporting them, saying if they're selling to local farmers markets, say you'll buy from them if they if they do things differently. Mm. It's funny when you talked about your Patreon person, I thought it was going to be somebody in an urban setting surrounded by concrete, because obviously that fragmentation well, yeah. of habitats means that bugs can't come and they can't, you know, it's difficult for them to travel through if they haven't got any refuges along the way, green corridors, as they're called, like trees or a bit of grassy verge. But in a, you can have sort of desolate environments in, in the rural areas as well, as, as she's found. So, yeah, I think starting the, the conversation, uh, you know, about what ideas you could do to um, help the pollinators, that's often a good start um, to to get things changing and talking talking to the local community, but in a very nice way. And before long, we'll all be like Costa Rica, right? Where, according to your book, and this blew my mind, is it like insects or bugs that have been given citizenship? Citizenship, yes. The mayor of Cucurubat, I think that's how you say it. In Costa, it's a sort of urban in, um, place in Costa Rica, surrounded by incredible biodiversity in the rainforest, but itself was very ur- urban concrete jungle. So they started to see how they can make it into what they call a sweet city. And they decided to... <laughs> do things like give citizenship to the bees, create more wild spaces and places where rivers can flow again and people can have access to green spaces. And they basically celebrate nature in the city in a brilliant way. It's really inspiring. And there are other sweet cities across the globe. You can look look them up with loads of ideas about how getting... Um, nature into urban environments which are really great not you know it's going way beyond just having a park it's it's really embracing and sharing the space that's what they talk about sharing the space these are small but the ones out there are far away (laughs) and what about what we buy so what like what are the top two or three things as consumers and i'm doing the little bunny ear consumer things we should be looking out for Absolutely. Well, food food is obviously a key one because it's got such a huge land take. That's, you know, the land take Im- impacts on the invertebrates everywhere. So try and go for less processed food, organic food, food that hasn't, you know, been laced with chemicals. If you can talk to the farmer, buy direct, that's great. But going for less processed and cooking yourself is, is a really good option. Um, and what you wear i talk a lot about cotton and leather and other things that we're wearing they are incredibly important for invertebrates the cotton crop globally is the largest one of the largest per user of acre um, user of insecticides it's an incredibly vulnerable crop so we need to be buying organic cotton and we need to be reusing our clothes try and not throw things away the fast fashion industry is one of the worst things for insects so there's a lot in the book about um, clothes and uh, food but also you know um, uh, metal object things you know in your house they're all mined and the mining creates a huge amount of pollution particularly in water environments across the globe so try and reuse things don't throw them away get them repaired that all makes a huge amount of sense because they will have either pollution or a big impact on the biodiversity on the land which affects the bugs so when mrs ol says to me why are you still wearing that jumper that i know for a fact you wore when you're at university i can say for the bugs So we've been doing this interview for a while now and I think it's probably time to ask you what the name of your book is because <laughs> it occurs to us that we haven't. What's the name of your book, Vicky? It's called Rebugging the Planet um, and it's, you know, the, the word rebugging you can apply to anything. You can rebug your garden, 
You can rebug your office. Rebug the babble. Rebug the babble. Rebug everything. Rebug your clothes. Rebug your park. You know, uh, rebug your diets. You know, so I, I chose that with that in mind that it's a it's a sort of interactive, active verb, um, and it's all about the remarkable things that insects and other vertebrates, invertebrates do, and why we should love them more. That's a bit of a long title, but uh, sort of trying to explain the point of the book. And how can people keep in touch with you and find out what you're up, what you're up to and that sort of thing? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram or Twitter at, at Vicky Hurd, V-I-C-K-I-H-I-R-D. And I have started a website, www.rebuggingtheplanet.org. So I've got tips in there, photographs, um, updates and ideas of things you can do. So do have a look at that as well. But also buy the book. And buy the book Rebugging the Planet from Chelsea Green and all good bookshops. And Amazon. Right, that is just about it for another episode of Babble. Rebug the Babble. Rebug the Babble. Yeah, how do we do that? Oh, we need to have a bug-friendly environment from now on. How are we going to do that? Uh, I've got a pretty bug-friendly environment. I walked into this shed the other day after I'd not been in it for a few hours and it was all dark. Walked in, turned the light on, and there was a spider that had dangled down from the ceiling and was right in front of my face. And Not an uh, insect. No, I know, but it's an invertebrate. Okay, fair enough. It, yeah, very it good. It counts. It counts. Um, yeah, rebug the babble. Quite right. I love bugs. Love beetles. Beetles was the thing I that got me beetles. into, like, caring about the planet and stuff, so... Yeah, well up for that. We put Beetle and Inhoff Corner once. Did we? Yeah, I forget I forget exactly why, but we put Beetle and Inhoff Corner and you got very upset about it. Was it eating a tree or something? That's right, yes. Yeah. It was, yes, yeah. Well, it was, I think it was an invasive beetle that was eating a tree. A war had been declared on it by oh, other forces. Right. Yeah. That's right. And you presumably said it's absolutely fine. Just be nice to the beetles. Let them come over here and eat all the trees. Pretty much. I'm not beetle racist like you <laughs> Right, thank you very much to Vicky for writing a magnificent book and coming on here to talk about it splendiferously. Go and buy it, Rebugging the Planet. Uh, thank you, Dave, for your loveliness and all-round super-dupery. Uh, and thank you, of course, to the wonderful Dickie Moore for the music that begins, ends and intertwinkles this podcast. You can find Dickie stuff off of Bearcraft and also Scritty Politti. Thank you, finally to the magnificent Arthur Stovall who does the logo what adorns our website on which you can find t-shirts with said logo on it organic cotton t-shirts yeah I think no they are definitely yeah they are good 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 100% definitely yep. fact yes okay good uh you can get in touch with us. You can tell us what you thought of the show. You can email us to hello at sustainababble.fish. You can find us on the Twitter. Just search for no, the Babble Wagon. No, don't you search. can do that. You, you can search. search on Twitter for the Babble. You'll find us on Twitter. Shut up. And we're on Facebook at Sustainababble. Yes, I you, nearly you did had, that right. You had such an air of confidence about it, but it was, it was, <laughs> you knew it as fake confidence. Please do remember that we are a listener funded podcast. So if you like what you hear, or even if you don't, but you just wish to chip into the cause, you can go to Wubble wubbly wubbly dot patreon dot com slash sustainable join the legions who chip in but we always need more legion and get to find out who we're talking to next get to ask them questions and get little treats like the first time i'll ever had a go at saying in half of the week right thank you very much enjoy your rebugging crystal palace uh what it sounds like you're gonna do uh and i'll see you next week old chum 
Very good. I look forward to you turning over your stone and crawling back under it all. That's me. Bye. Bye. Hey, oh, 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 hey, oh, 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 oh. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, no. Hey, oh, hey, oh, hey, oh, hey, oh. Uh, no. Do you know I used to have a racing snail? I know what this joke is. Gonna, yeah, carry on. Yeah. I used to have a racing snail. This is and, what uh, someone said to my kid. My f- well, it was, the kid was four at the time. And even that. I used to have a racing snail hole and it was great. It used to win all the races. I entered it high and low around the country. And then one day, unfortunately, it fell off, fell off the table at the end of a race and smashed its shell to pieces. It wasn't much use after that. It was just really sluggish. We're done here.